turn in your Bibles, you go ahead and just turn to chapter 32. And we're looking, of course, at the patriarchs. And this is what we started out with. We said there were four great men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. They're considered to be the head of the Jewish nation. Now, we started and we looked at Abraham. And Abraham, of course, was the man of faith, the father of the nation. God told him to leave the earth of the Chaldees and go. He made a covenant with him. What's the three parts of the covenant? Land, seed, blessing. And then you have Isaac. We call Isaac the what? What do we call him? The quiet man, because there's only two chapters about him. Really, in reality, there's only two chapters about him. There's a lot there. But when I think of Isaac, uh, his name means what? What does his name mean? La laughter. It means laughter, yeah, because, it, because, because they laughed. Both of them laughed when they realized that they would have a child and they're that old. And, but he was so amazing because he was willing to be put up on that altar. I just think that's incredible. And then we're looking at Jacob. Now, Jacob is the man. We call him. He's the one who um, spent 20 years with his uncle Laban. He has two wives, two handmaids, 11 sons, and one daughter. Now, we know he's going to have one more son, and that will be what we call the 12 tribes of Israel. He's got a problem because he's now he's left Laban after 20 years. Laban cheated him. He did, Of course, he, you know, the deceiver, whatsoever you reap, you also, whatever you sow, you what? He also reap. And so he's got problems, and he's on the way. He's decided to leave, and he's going to go back home. He hadn't been home in 20 years, and when he, he's on the way back. What happened before he left? Uh, Stole his brother's, brother's blessing and everything, and now with the brother Esau does what? When, wanted to kill him. So 20 years have passed, and so he left with the conflict, and now he's on the way back, and he's going to meet Esau. And so what's going to happen? What would you think? Well, I mean, think about this. How does Jacob face Esau? And how do we face the times of crisis in our lives? And, and we, we're going to see. God has already told Jacob, in fact, in chapter 31, uh, I think uh, verse 3 says, The Lord said to Jacob, Return to your land, to the, your fathers, to your relatives, and I will be with you. That's 31.3. So he knows he's supposed to go back and that God's going to be with him. And so what's going to happen? We'll see. Well, let me just give you a little background. When I was at Dallas Seminary, I graduated in, in the year 1985, and it was a great four years for me, 81 to 85. And I was excited about being a pastor. And so at Dallas Seminary in those days, they don't do it this way now, but at Dallas Seminary in those days, if you, if you, there would be like a board, and it would say, Church in Florida wanting a pastor or assistant pastor. And, they, and if you were interested, you signed your name, and Dallas Seminary then sent resumes out to those places. They don't do it that way anymore. But I remember that I signed a lot of things. I never got called. No, I, never got, I never heard from anybody. Not a soul. In fact, one church in Florida wrote me and said I wasn't qualified to be a pastor because I was single. And I had the idea to write him back and say, what about Paul and Jesus? Would, they, would he be okay to be there, because, either one of them? But anyway, I didn't. And so I didn't know what to do. So what I decided, and I thought about this. I said, here's what I'm going to do. I planned. I continued to send out my resumes. I prayed. I said, Lord, you know my heart. You know I want to be a pastor. You know what I want to do. And then I trusted. I said, I, I just rest in the Lord. He's going to work it out. And, and he did, as you know. And, and then when, in, in the trials of life, what do we do? We plan. We pray. And we trust. So in my search, if you, you don't have to write all that stuff down. I mean, what I decided today is I, I mean, what I decided then is I planned to send my resumes out. I prayed that God would open up something, and I just trusted him. And so what do we do in trials? What do we do in uncertainty? What do we do when we don't know exactly what's coming next? We plan, we pray, and we trust. Well, we're going to see the same thing with Jacob. Jacob plans, prays, 
and trust. And so if you want to put those three things under Jacob where it says one, two, three, we're going to see them tonight as we go through them, that he is going to plan. He's got a plan. Listen, we have to hand it to Jacob. He doesn't just go back. He's got a plan. He's going to be praying, and we're going to see what he prays. And what, well, we're going to put it up on the board as well, besides up on this. And I want you to think about what he prayed and how we approach God when he prayed. And then the last thing is he trusts God. And we actually see he gets in a wrestling match with God. Now, I know that sounds weird, but he did. And so now, what has happened? Twenty years before, Jacob has deceived, he has stolen. Is, is Esau wanting to kill him? What's going to happen? And so the big three areas, if you want to write those down, Jacob prepares to meet Esau. That's, what, that's coming. They're going to meet, and they're going to meet at a place called Shechem. And I've got a little map, and it's hard to see because it's just hard to find those things. But I got that. And then Jacob wrestles with God. What in the world does that mean? Now, if you've never, if you may have read the passage. How many of you have read the passage where Jacob wrestled with God? Do you know what it means? Do you know what it's about? We'll see because it, you, sometimes we say, well, he wrestled with God, but what does it mean? We'll see what happens there. And then we're going to see the reunion when they come back together. Okay? So that's where we are. And let's... let's um, uh, I, I, I want to remind you that um, I've got it at the top of the next page where it says God's promise, Gen- Genesis 31.3. God says, I will be what? With you. He is. He's going to be with him. And we don't have to, to be afraid. And, of course, we're going to see now Jacob prepares to meet Esau. Okay? So here we go. And here's the... Uh, he said, I'll be with you. Here's the map. You can't hardly see it. He's been in Haran. He's coming all the way back down. You remember about right in here, uh, Laban caught him. They're going to end up going to Shechem, which is down right in here. And so that's where, that's where they're going to end up meeting. And so he's going to meet his brother there. And we'll see what happens. Let's look at chapter 32. Look at verse 1. Now Jacob went on his way. The angels of God met him. What? If, if you, you, how many of you took my class, Angels and Demons? I mean, so we know there's angels. There are angels and they're, they're uh, God's messengers and servants. And it says the angels, uh, it says angels of God met him. Let me ask you a question. You remember when he was leaving? When he was running off 20 years earlier. What happened? He stopped at a place and went and, had a, a, and fell asleep on a rock. And what happened? He had a dream, and what did he see? Angels going up and down. So now on the way back, what does he see? Angels. And I think it's just to remind him. Jacob said when he saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanam, which, which means uh, uh, two camps. He says, realize that he's not alone, that there's the camp of angels and there's the camp, his camp. And so he would never forget uh, that as he left, there were angels going up and down. Now when he's coming back, there's angels there. So what are the things that Jacob does as we get ready? To, what are the three things that he does? He plans, he prays, and he trusts. I'm going to put up here plans. And we're going to put some things. And I'm going to put praise, and we're going to see what he prays. Okay? So we're going to see that as we go through this. And you help me with this. Okay? So let's see it. Yeah, it was Luz, and he changed it to Bethel. Now, he's, he's almost to the same place, because Shechem and all, they're all right there together. Yeah, so it's close to the not the exact same place. God is here. This is God's house. Yeah, yeah, Bethel means the house of God. And that, when he left, it, it, he had been at a place called Luz, and, but he changed it to Bethel, house of God, because he saw God and the angels and all of that then. So that's exactly right. So let's see, let's see his plans. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau, 
in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. So he's sending out messages to his brothers. So the first part of the plan is what? By the way, when we plan, 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 let me get this. Here's Jacob's plan. So what's he going to do first? He's going to send what? Messengers. Wonder why? Why would he send messengers? He doesn't want Esau to think what? He's sneaking up on him. He doesn't want Esau to think he's just showing up out of the blue, maybe to attack him, maybe to kill him. We don't know. So he says, I'm going to send people ahead and say to Esau, uh, Jacob's on his way and would love to meet with you. <laughs> That's what he says. Look what he says. Jacob sent messages before him to his brother, and he also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to, the Lord, to my Lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have served you with La uh, sojourn with Laban, and have stayed until now. I have oxen and donkey and flocks and males and female servants, and I have sent, sent to tell my Lord. What does he call his brother? My Lord. My Lord. What is he doing? What do we see? We see humility. Now this is a key. This is a key in all these issues. You want to be reconciled with somebody? How do you approach them? Do you go and say, hey, I know we got problems, and we got problems, but I just want to tell you maybe we ought to get along. You think that's going to work? I don't think so. How do you approach somebody if you want to get along with them? How do you approach somebody if you, if you want to reconcile? You come with what? Humility. And this is what he's doing. What is he saying? He said, thus says your servant Jacob. What does he call himself? A servant. He says, uh, this is all for you. And he's doing all of this. And so he sends his messengers. He's coming with humility. Look at verse 5. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and males and females. I have sent them to Timor that I might find favor. He wanted to do what? Find favor with Esau. That's the plan. He wants Esau to like him. He wants Esau to help him. And, and now, so what do you think? Word comes back. And listen to what it says. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore he's coming to meet you with 400 men are with him. <laughs> so Esau's coming out. Wow, Esau's coming out. Oh, he's really happy. He's got 400 men with you. That could either be good or bad. It could be, we're going to have one heck of a party, or we're going to come kill you, right? What would you think if you were Jacob? I think he's coming, I think he's coming to kill me. That, that, that's why. I mean, look at Jacob. Then Jacob, <laughs> verse 7, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks. And we're gonna, we'll get to that in just a second. What was he? He was what? He was afraid. Is he coming to kill him with 400 soldiers, or is he coming to receive him with great celebration? So part, part one of the plan is to do what? He sent what? Messengers. Here's part two of his plan, and that's he divides the company. He divides the group up. Why did he do that? Instead of one big group, he said, okay, you guys go over here, and you guys go this way. And well, maybe some of them will escape, yeah. He's thinking possibly some of them could escape. And, and so at the, at, we're at the top of that next plague, and Jacob divides his company. And he, so he's, he says, if, what if Esau? If Esau gets one group, the other group might can escape. And that's what he actually says. For if Esau comes to attack one company and attacks it, uh, when the other company which is left will escape. He says, we got a chance. We'll divide into groups, and if Esau comes to kill, maybe somebody can get away. So do you think he thinks Esau's coming friendly? 
No, he doesn't. He doesn't think Esau's coming friendly. So we've seen, we're going to have one more of the plan. But now, right in the midst of this, we see the prayer. So, so the plan, send messengers, divide the company. Now let's see the prayer. And this is over here. And I want you to see something because he's going to turn to God in prayer. And look at verse 9. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and of Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to relatives. And then he's going to do the prayer. Let's see the prayer. And there are three things in this prayer. And I think it helps us. Number one, Jacob shows his unworthiness. Not only does he show his unworthiness, he asks, he gives his petition. In other words, he says, this is my request. And then he has a promise. He claims a promise that God's already told him. What did God already tell him? You remember? I will what? Be with you. So we're going to see that he, he, he shows his unworthiness. He makes the petition and he claims the promise. And, and by the way, think about this. When we come to God, when we pray, can we approach God like this and say, hey, you're, I'm, I know you're glad I'm here. Is that how we approach God? We approach the living God and say, by your grace, Lord, we, fall, we come before you. We, we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God, and you love us and you've saved us and we're your children, and, and yet it's all grace that we approach you. Come boldly to the throne of grace. The second thing, we make our request known. Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known and the peace of God which passes all understanding regards your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus and promises. We go back to the word of God. Listen, when you pray, you can pray a promise. Uh, can you say, Lord, I know you never leave me or forsake me. Can you say to God, I know I have eternal life. Those are all promises. He's promised us. So we can, we can talk about that. We can do any of that. So this, this is the, the prayer. It has those three parts to it. And so we actually see the prayer in Genesis. I think this is it's supposed to be 32.9. Am I right? I think that's just a typo. should be 32.9, not 31.9. And I hope, I, I didn't really look all the way through it today. I didn't have a whole lot of time to check it. And Chelsea was typing it, but she, we could have gotten the wrong thing. So that's supposed to be 32.9. Look what it says. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac. He's also the God of who? Jacob. Jacob, right, right. Okay, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to relatives, and I will prosper you. You already told me to go back. So this is the prayer, and look what he says in verse 10. Uh, it's supposed to be 32, y'all, so just, just make sure you got that right. Uh, he says, I am unworthy of all the loving kindness, all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant, for my staff only, with a staff I crossed with nothing, and I've come back with two companies. Now think about it. He said, I went out with like a staff. I'm coming back rich. And he said, first of all, I am unworthy, unworthy uh, for all that you've done for me. Think about it. Are we unworthy? I mean, God doesn't know us anything, right? I mean, isn't it His grace that He saves us? Isn't it His grace that He loves us? Isn't it His grace that He uses us? Isn't it His grace that He takes care of us? It's His grace that we live? I mean, does He, have to, does he need us to live? He need, I mean, it's just all grace. So when we come to God, uh, we, it, you know, we, we're unworthy in that sense. And we think about His loyal love, His loving kindness. In fact, He says that in verse 10, I am unworthy of your loving kindness. Now, you've heard me say this many, many times. The Hebrew word for loving kindness 
is the word chesed. It's, it's kind of chesed. It's got a guttural sound. You could say chesed, but it's chesed. And it means loyal love. It's love that never changes. God's love never changes. Let me ask you a question. If you are serving God, does he love you? How much? How much? To the maximum. If you're not serving God, does he love you? How much? To the maximum. If you're an unbeliever, does God love you? How much? To the maximum. If, you, if you've been a believer 50 years, does God love you? How much? His love never changes. That's why we have such trouble with that, because we think when we sin or when we mess up that he goes, Oh, well, oh, well you're going to have to make this one up. Now, listen, that's what grace, grace God says. Good gracious. Good gracious. Didn't you get it? Okay, so anyway, that's what he says. Loving kindness, it never, never changes. Look, his love never changes. He sent his son to die for us. His love never changes. He provides and protects us. His love never changes us. He gives us eternity. And so then, remember we said, so here's the request, and here's the request, and here's his petition. Deliver me. Okay, this, I'll just remember this is 32 and not uh, 31. I, I'm sorry, we got that typed in there wrong. Deliver me. The request is deliver me. Deliver me from who? Esau. Yeah. Hey, look what he says in verse 11. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. If I fear him, he will come and attack me <coughs> and the mothers with their children. Notice he doesn't even say the wives. He calls them the what? The mothers and the children. And so he's, he's afraid. He says, I'm unworthy. I want you to deliver me. And then he goes back to a promise that God has made. And look what it says in verse 12. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. Now, if he's going to prosper him and have descendants as the sand of the sea, what does that mean? He's going to live, right? He's not going to get killed. He said, you promise me. So he said, I am unworthy. My request is that you deliver me. And the promise is you said I would live and have a bunch of kids. And I'm just now getting started, right? So this is the promise, and that's what he prays. Now, we have seen, and, and I, I love this because it's Jacob's plans, is sent messengers, divide the company, and they has a third part of his plan, and that's to send gifts. His plan, his prayer, and his trust. We haven't got to the trust yet. Trust is going to come a little bit harder. Let me ask you something. Which is harder for you to do, plan or trust? Trust. Which is harder for you to do, pray or trust? That's the last thing. See? So, so he plans. I'm going to send out the messengers. I'm going to divide the company. I'm going to send the gifts. He said, I'm going to pray. I'm, I know I'm unworthy. I want you to deliver me because that's what you promised. That, we haven't got to the trust yet. We're going to get to it in just a minute. But let's see. He sends out the gifts. Look at verse 13. So he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had with him as a present for Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 female. I think I would have stopped earlier than that. I mean, that's a lot of stuff. In fact, he, it's going to, when it's all added up, it's going to be 580 animals that he sends to his brother. And, you know, he, so he, he sends them out, and he sends the gifts. And I want you to notice, what does Proverbs say? A man's gifts make room for him. And Proverbs twenty one fourteen says, a gift subdues anger. 
you know, somebody mad and you go up and go, hey, 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 I know, hey, I got you this. I got you this. They always usually go, well, thank you, chocolate. Right. <laughs> so the truth is, he's saying, I got to do everything I can. This is my plan. I'm going to send messengers. I'm going to divide it up in case he attacks and kills them. And then I'm going to send the gifts. And maybe as the gifts keep coming, he'll go, wow, that's a lot of gifts. I may ought to forgive him. That's what I may ought to do. He's already prayed and says, I know I'm unworthy. I'm lifting this prayer request to protect me. And I know you promised that already. So he sends out the animals. And then in 16, so he goes on, he delivered in the hand of his servants. And they drove him and he had a space between him. And he said, what you do is you go and you get there and you say, Esau, all of these, these are from your servant Jacob. And, they give him, and then, then a little bit later, another group comes up and they go, Esau, this is, and so it, this is going to happen over and over as Esau is on the way with 400 people. Uh, he's thinking, somehow I just got to calm him down and maybe he won't kill me. And so look at verse 21. It, basically, he said, you should just tell him your servant Jacob is behind and hopefully he'll take all this. And so the present passed on before him while he spent the night at the camp. So he sent, he sent, he sent them all ahead. He sent the, all the gifts ahead. He took his family. And what we're going to see is he takes his family and he, cro- he tells them to cross the river. And he stays on the other side of the river. What's he going to do? Well, have you ever wanted to just be by yourself? You got something big coming. You don't know what's going to happen. This could be your last day. You don't know what God's going to do. You know that you've talked to God. You've planned every way you can. You've talked to Him. And now you're on the other side of the river. You send everybody to the other side, the whole family, and you're by yourself on the other side of the river. And probably you're talking to God and you're saying things like, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, I prayed. You said you're going to protect me. I'm hoping you protect me. I've done everything I can. I'm coming back. You told me to come back. In fact, you told me to come back. And so I'm coming back because you told me to come back. What am I going to do? Now remember, he planned, that's to tell he's come and divide the camp, sent the presents. He prayed, he's unworthy, request based on God's word and promises. What's the third thing? Trust. And there it is. How is he going to trust God? What's he going to do? Well, watch what happens because he's going to spend the night. So he has planned, he has prayed, and now he trusts. And this section is what I call, we, we, Jacob wrestles with God. Now, if you've never really studied the passage, you'll be surprised tonight what goes on. Okay? You may have read the passage before. You may have heard somebody say that he wrestled with God and, and all this kind of stuff. But what does it mean? So look at verse 24. When Jacob was left alone, a man wrestled with him until daybreak. If you go back, it says, and he rose that same night. He took his two wives, his two maids, his 11 kids, and, he cro- they, and crossed over. He took them and sent them across the stream, and he sent across whatever he had. And Jacob was left alone. So he sent everybody across, and then something weird happened that night. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Some person showed up, or at least had a man's body, and was wrestling with him. And we, I, I, I think he wrestles with God. We're going to talk more about it in just a minute. But everybody's been left across the way, and now this man comes. And by the way, the Hebrew word is ish, which means man. It means a human, a human. Ish, isha. Isha is the word for woman, which means out of man. So ish and isha. And so this man wrestled with him. Now watch what happens. If you read it, you're going to read it wrong, okay? Watch. 
Tell me what's happening in this wrestling match. Listen to what it says. When he saw that, when he saw he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Who is it that saw he had not prevailed against him? Who is that? Who is that? It's not that easy a passage, is it? The one who's wrestling Jacob is the one that says, when he saw he had not prevailed against him, he touched his thigh, and so it messed up Jacob's leg. So who's the one that said he hadn't prevailed yet? It's God. Exact. God is wrestling Jacob, and Jacob is doing the wrong thing. Jacob's wrestling with God. You know what he's doing? He's fighting God. Have you ever fought God in your life? You ever said, I don't know, I don't know what to do. I know what you said to do, but I don't know if I want to do that. Right? I've had people come into my office and say, I know what the Bible says, but I'm not going to do that. They're fighting God. Jacob's fighting God. He's been fighting God all his life. He's been always saying, I'm going to do my thing. If I have to trick, I'll trick. I'll do this, I'll do this. I'll get this person back, I'll get this person back. He has never learned to trust God yet. He, not yet. But he didn't know, he didn't know it was God we'll see. until he touched the hip I don't know. He, he, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. What does it say? He saw Jacob's wrestling with a man till daybreak. And this went on all night. And let's just say it this way. When the man saw he had not prevailed against Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. What did the guy do? He went, and all of a sudden Jacob went, ow, oh, ow. Ow, <laughs> that hurt. Okay, up to this time, what's Jacob been doing? He's been fighting God. And it's symbolic that he's fighting against God. So what does God do? He says, you can't fight me. You've got to get to the point where you do what? You trust me. Now watch what happens. I think this is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is called a theophany. It's sometimes called a Christophany, which means an appearance of God in a physical way. Let me ask you a question. You, we remember all the way back to the book of Genesis, right? And God put Adam and Eve in the garden. What did he do every day before they fell? Who did? God walked? That's got to be a pre-incarnate what? Some kind of pre-incarnate appearance of Christ or, or the Father or something. And so this is what happens here. And so Jacob is still wrestling, fighting God. And what does God do? He touches his thigh. And I want you to see the change. He's been struggling all this time. Notice that God, God says he has not prevailed. Jacob's still fighting. He touched the hip joint. Literally, the, by the way, it doesn't mean touch like I touched it. It meant to hit. It meant to hit hard. And it was a supernatural hit. Nobody could do what this man just did to Jacob. It's not going to happen. You know, you don't hit somebody and all of a sudden their whole leg comes basically out. And so watch what happens. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. That's his God saying this. But he said, Jacob says, I will not let you go till you bless me. What's Jacob doing now? What's Jacob doing now? Is he fighting God? He's holding. What's, what does God say? Let me what? What's Jacob doing? He's holding on to God. What are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? Aren't you supposed to hold on to God? I mean, this is, remember, this is symbolic. The first part, he's fighting God. And the last part, he's holding on to God. And so he's holding on. He's clinging. Look, I'll, now I'll hold on to you till you bless me. 
That's what he actually says. Notice the change. He is clinging to this man. By the way, once again, the, the verses are wrong. It's 32. The whole thing is 32. So always uh, just disregard this. I think, uh, I think the handout is correct. And it? just the slides. We can, we'll get that fixed. Okay. So he says, I'm, I'm going to hold on till you bless me. You know what he's saying? I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to cling to you. Does John want you fighting him or clinging to him? What do you think? So watch what God does. So God said to him, so, no, so, uh, so he said to him, what's your name? And what does he say? My name's what? Y'all look at the 27. So he said to him, what's your name? And he said, what? Jacob. He said, your name's no longer going to be what? Jacob, but it's going to be what? Israel, which means prince of God or striver. For you have striven with God and you and men and you have prevailed. He said, you've hung in there and you did what's right. He said, what's your name? Well, my name, it's no longer going to be Jacob, which is deceiver, but you're going to be called Israel to strive, to wrestle with God. You held on. You, you're, you're holding on to God as the prince of God. This is a strange thing. So just remember this wrestling, it looks funny because it almost looks like God's losing, right? God said, let me go. No, I'm holding on. And he said, that's exactly what he wanted to do. And he said, by the way, what's your name? He says, Jacob. It's no longer going to be Jacob, but it's going to be Israel. And I didn't even put this uh, on your sheet, but notice it goes on down. And, and Jacob asked him, what's your name? And God says, why is it you ask my name? And he blessed him there. God said, why are you asking my name? Because God said, you know who I am. That's what he knows. And so Jacob, what does is, what is Jacob call the place? Anybody know? Look. So Jacob named the place Peniel, which means I have seen God face to face. Peniel means face of God. He said, I wrestled God and I saw him face to face. Wow. Wow. Now, let me ask you a question. What is Jacob like after the end of the, of the wrestling match? For the rest of his life. For the rest of his life, he will do this. For the rest of his life. And every time he limps, you know what he's going to be reminded of? You've got to hang on to God. You can't fight God. You've got to hold on to God. You've got to trust God. You can't fight against God. You've got to hold on to God. His life will never be the same. He'll never be. And we're going to find from this point on, he's a different person. He's a different person. And the rest of the Bible, it talks about Jacob, and you know what it says? And Jacob, leaning on his stick, rest of his life, he had a cane. Rest of his life, he walked with a limp. He will always remember what God has done. And he called the place Peniel. And I've got it on your little handout. Why will Jacob never forget this event? Why? Because this, this is when he learned to trust God. Now, let me ask you this. Who's coming? How many people? He's going to have to trust God. And let me ask you this. How can he fight Esau? Now he's what? He's crippled. He, he said, if, if Esau comes to fight, I can't even fight because my legs hurt real bad. I mean, that's what he's saying, right? And so who is he going to have to depend on to take care of him? What did God promise already? I'll take care of you. See, he's planned it out. He's prayed about it. But he hadn't learned to trust God until he tried to fight God. And then he learned you have to hold on to God. 
So let me just say this out. We, 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 can, we, we should plan. We should say, here's what I want to do. And Lord willing, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do this. And we should pray. And we approach God unworthily. And we give Him our request. And we trust the promises of God. But we're not fighting God. If we fight Him, we'll always lose. And it'll always be sad. What we need to do is hold on to Him. Get as close to Him as get. What does the Bible say? Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. So it's a, it's a great, great thing. And so what are we saying? He has planned. He has prayed. Now He is trusting God. So now the reunion. This is the moment we've all waited for. <laughs> What's Esau going to be like? Let me ask you a question. We said this over and over. If you had two guys, Jacob and Esau, which one do you think you might like the most? I'd like Esau probably. Esau's a good guy, been a good guy. I didn't mean that whether he's a believer or not. We don't know that. Jacob is, is what? What is he? He's a kind of a scoundrel, you know? And now he's learned that all of this stuff is coming back. And, I mean, where he tricked people, he's gotten tricked. And now he's coming back. And all he can do now is trust God that God will keep his promises. Do you believe God keeps his promises? Do you really? What's the greatest promise he's given you? Eternal life. Did you know that he says, um, I go to prepare a place for you who went that way? And I told you, my father's house, there many rooms. I prepare a place for you. When I get it ready, I'll come back and get you. And where I am, you will be also. You believe that promise? You actually believe he's going to come in the clouds, get us, and take us to be with him? You believe that? What about I'll never leave you or forsake you? What should you fear? You believe he's always with you? So we believe the promises of God, don't we? Are we fighting God or holding on to Him? We're holding on to Him. He says, uh, you can do all things through the one who strengthens you. Do you believe that? We say, oh, I, I don't think I can do that. Yes, you can. Yes, you, I, I don't think I can witness. Yes, you can. I don't think I can really study the Bible. Of course you can. You've got a mind and you've got the Holy Spirit and you've got the living Word of God. You're telling me you can't study it and understand it? Of course you can. You can do anything through Christ. So, now, the reunion. And as we look at chapter 33, we see the reunion of Jacob and Esau. 20 years, the separation, the hurt, the anger, and the reconciliation. And by the way, what's the story of the Bible? Perfect God brings sinful man back to himself, union his son, Jesus Christ, and that is reconciliation. And so we're going to see the biblical truth of reconciliation. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to see reconciliation between these two guys. And next week, at the start of our lesson, we're going to talk about biblical reconciliation and how it fits. We'll give you a little bit of that at all. So this is biblical reconciliation. And by the way, two things there. One, every person needs to be reconciled to God. Is that true? All of sin and come short of the glory of God. We come into this world dead in trespasses and sins and we all fall short. We need to be reconciled to God. God's plan is to bring man to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And many times, we need to be reconciled to others. Now, I'm going to bring this up a little bit next week. There is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. You may forgive someone but not be reconciled to them. And in some situations, you may not, should be reconciled to them. Okay? Because there may be some times that it would be dangerous to be around that person who hurt you, who you've forgiven, 
but not necessarily reconciled to. So that's just, I'm just throwing that out. But sometimes we need to be reconciled to people. That's the story of the Bible. And we got two brothers that need to be reconciled. Am I right on that? And let me ask you a question. Do y'all know the story? Do anybody know what happens at the end? Remind me. Remind me to tell you what happened. Because I may not get to it on this. Remind me to tell you what happens at the end between the two brothers and the reconciliation. So let's see what happens. Okay, let's see what happens here. Look at verse 1 of 33. Jacob lifted up his eyes and behold, lo and behold, looked and behold, Esau was coming with 400 men with him. So what did he do? He divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids and their kids first and Leah and her kids next and Rachel and Joseph last. <laughs> you think what he did? He's coming. So what did he do? He said, okay, the two maids and their kids go first, and then Leah and her kids go next, and me and Rachel and Joseph were at the end. So when he kills us all, we'll be killed last. I mean, he's going to get them first. Maybe he'll get tired of killing before he gets to us. Now, how do you think everybody felt about that? I mean, think about it. Rachel and Joseph, the action didn't tell everybody he was most favored. They already knew it, didn't they? Didn't every one of them know it? Did Leah know that he doesn't love her? Did those two handmaids know that the only reason they're there is to produce children for these two wives? Everybody knows it. And so he's not playing any games. He says, okay, Bill, Zilpah, get up there with your kids. Okay, Leah, you get up there with your kids. Rachel, right here. Joseph, right here. We'll be back here. Because what is he coming with? What is he coming with? 400 men. When we think about, look at verse 3. I have to admire him for this. But he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. He doesn't stay at the back. He leaves his two favorite ones at the back. And he goes all the way to the front and he sees Esau. And he goes and he bows and he goes and he bows. He bows seven times before he got to his brother. What does that mean? What do you see in that? Two truths in reconciliation. One is what? Humility. And the other is what? Forgiveness. Listen, if you're going to have reconciliation, you've got to have humility and forgiveness. If you don't have humility, there can't be reconciliation. If you don't have forgiveness, there can't be reconciliation. What is Jacob's action? Notice what it says. He bowed down to the ground seven times and came near to his brother. What is that? That's humility. Do you think 20 years ago he would have bowed down to his brother? No. Why does he bow down to his brother now? What do y'all think? Why do you think he bows down to his brother? He wants to reconcile. Listen, what does he know the promise is? What is he now doing? He said, I've got to trust God. God made the promise. I've already lifted up the petition. I'm going to trust you. And that means if I'm going to come to him, I've got to come how? With humility. He can't come with pride. When you have pride, that's when you fight. When you have humility, that's when you cling. you got pride if you're fighting God. You've got humility if you're clinging to God. And this is what Jacob's going to do. And so look what happens. So he, look, I I love this. Because what did Esau do? Notice, Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. What do you have there? Look at this. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. What is the basis that Esau would forgive Jacob? Huh? 
There's no basis. It's called grace. When somebody has harmed you and comes to you and said, I'm so sorry I blew it, the forgiveness comes from grace when you say, I forgive you. That's the grace of God. When, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. How did he forgive you? By his grace. By grace you have been saved through faith. It's the grace of God in everything. Forgiveness. He reaches out in love. Forgiveness not on the basis of what Jacob has ever done. Jacob doesn't do anything. And that's what we see. Humility. He's admitting he's wrong. He's coming to him and he said, I'm your servant. Humility. And he's forgiving, which is grace. And I want you to see the interaction with the brothers. Look again at verse 5. He lifted up his eyes and he saw the women and the children. And he said, who are these? This is Esau talking. Who are these? He said, these are the children that God has graciously given your what? What does he call himself? He calls himself Esau's servant. Esau probably is a little bit taken back by this. He's probably going, good night, this guy's changed. He's not the arrogant fool that he was when he left. Of course, Esau, you're pretty idiotic yourself because you sold your whole birthright for a piece of stew. I mean, let's face it, neither one of these two guys are going to win any awards, you know, <laughs> at this point. But Jacob is amazing. I mean, I love them all. I mean, really. So he says, he says, the maids came near and their children, and they bowed down. Likewise, Leah came near, and she bowed down. And then at the end, Joseph came near with Rachel, and they bowed down. Can you see him? Here is Esau, and all these people come up, and they bow down before him. All his family come up, and they bow down before him. What is he showing his brother? Humility. I mean, this is amazing. This is amazing. Let me tell you, if he'd have never had to wrestle a match, he wouldn't have done this. Listen, until we get to the point where we say, I trust God and I cling to God, we're going to always have a prideful attitude about a lot of things, and we're never going to show that humility that we're supposed to show. God deals with man in grace. There was a cartoon. I just put the, the kind of the heading underneath. There was a, a group of Pharisees confronting Jesus Christ, and they said, we get our salvation the old-fashioned way. We earn it. And see, that's what the Pharisees thought. Keep all the rules, keep all the laws. And, that's, and there are a lot of people today that we go in contact with and they all think the same thing. Do, do me a favor. Find somebody that you're, you don't know really well, maybe, maybe somebody, and ask them a question. Say, so let me ask you this question. What do you think a person has to do in order to be able to be with God or say to go to heaven or have eternal life? Ask them what they think a person has to do. See what they're going to say. What do you think they're going to say? Live a good life. Listen, I, I read a study. George Barnard did a study. 73% of the people in the United States claim to be Christian, 73% on the, on the surveys. Of that 73%, uh, who, those who claim to be Christians, only 28% go to church once a month or less. Once a, once a month is the maximum. Okay, but they claim to be Christians. And then it said 38% of those believe that there are a number of ways to get to God rather than Jesus Christ. I have a friend that, that was, was working with a particular person. He doesn't work there anymore. And this person is really active in another church in this town. And so they were talking. And this person knows our person goes here. And so our person looked at the person and said, let me ask you a question. Do you believe, now this is a person who'd been in church 
This person's probably been in church 20 years. And he said, let me ask you this question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? And she said, I don't know. I've really never thought about it. I, I don't know. What do you think? These are, this, is our, this is our country. So they said, how do we get salvation? We do good works. We live a good life. You're going to find that a lot of people you talk to think that exactly. So, so look what happens. Verse 6. Then Bates came and the Baios came and, and all of that stuff. And in verse 8 he said, what, what's all this company for? What do you got them here? And he said, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. He said, the whole reason I did all this, and that's why he's coming in humility. He says, I want to find favor with you. Now, he's offered him what? What has he brought him? 580 what? Animals. He's given him all this stuff. And, and Esau is, 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 is going to say, well, thank you, but I don't need it. And Esau said, listen, look at verse 9. I have plenty, my brother. Uh, let what you have be your own. He said, I don't need your stuff. And Jacob said, no, no, no. Please, if now I have found favor in your sight, then take my present from my hand, for I see your face as one sees the face of God, and you have received me favorably. Do you understand Alan Ross writes, it's impossible for Jacob to give back the blessing, but it's not impossible to give the fruit of the blessing. And he says, please, please take it. He says, listen, we are reconciled when you accept it. Do you know if Esau would have said, I'm not taking your gifts, you know what he'd be saying to him? I'm not forgiving you. By accepting the gift. See, in that culture, Leon Morris says, Oriental custom to be assured of reconciliation, he has to accept the gifts. That's why Jacob says to him, take this. And Esau says, I have plenty. And Jacob says, no, please, if I found favor in your sight, take my presence. And so he says, please take my gift, which has been brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and I have plenty. And so he took it. You know, that's the key. That's the key. If he hadn't taken it, they wouldn't be close. If they hadn't taken it, they wouldn't be anything. So, uh, as Leon Morris said, for the, cust the custom, has to, he has to accept the gift. And so we see, he took it, there's forgiveness. What a story. Now, I'm, I'm going to throw this up, and that's why I want, don't, don't forget this. Next time we're going to see reconciliation, God, reconciliation to God and reconciliation to others. Without reading the rest of this, do you know what happens? Esau looks at Jacob and says, I want you to come be with me and be with my family, and I want you to come live with me. And Jacob says, well, I tell you what, um, why don't you head on? And since we've got children and little animals and little children, we will follow behind you. You go ahead, we'll move a lot slower. So Esau takes off, and Jacob goes another place. Jacob doesn't want to be with Esau. And it seems funny to us that they're just reconciled, they hugged, they kissed, they did everything, they took the gifts, the presents, and Esau goes one way and Jacob goes the other. Reconciliation. Reconciliation to God. Let me give you some applications, okay? First application is this. Let's understand how we, how we face crisis in life. The uncertainty, the problems. Although how do we do it? What did Jacob, what did Jacob do? Plan, pray, and trust. So let's talk about plan. 
Use wisely what God's given us. Listen, when you come to the, to the problems and the issues of life, you have to look at, look at the, the, the things. There's wisdom. Uh, there's truths from the Old Testament. There's truths from the New Testament. God gives us his wisdom through the Word of God. So the first thing you do is you plan. You look at the Bible. You look wisely. You make the wisest choices. You know, I'm, I'm just reading a book that is about um, 35 years old. I read it 35 years ago. It's by Gary Friesen. It's called Decision Making and the Will of God. And when the first time I read that book was 35 years ago, and I saw some principles about making, knowing God's will and making decisions that I began to see and that I've taught uh, for years. And the decision is this. If, if you have a decision to make and you don't have biblical revelation that tells you right or wrong, you have the freedom to make what? Wise choices. So when we seek to live for God and how we face crisis and how we face uncertainty and how we face problems is you have Scripture that gives you rights and wrongs. And if you don't have Scripture that gives you the rights and wrongs, then you have the freedom to make what? Wise choices. And we're going to see that. And that's what he says here. And so that, that the second thing is to pray. And let's pray to God in prayer. What, God, God to God. I don't know what that is. Pray, pray to God in prayer. And that's what we should be doing. And uh, <clears throat> look at this. The three aspects of prayer. Our unworthiness, we offer the petition, and we rely on God's promises. Huh? Yeah, you probably should say go to God in prayer. Probably take that D off of there and just go to God in prayer. You're exactly right. We um, had to put this together pretty fast because we had some things happen yesterday and that Chelsea was typing it really fast to, to get it ready for tonight because we had somebody come in the office yesterday and took about three hours to help the person and saying so. That's why some of this is not... She does an amazing job. Okay, and... Uh, I should have seen this myself, but because I look at it too. All right, so let's think about it. When you approach God, are you unworthy to approach Him? In one sense, yes. In another sense, who are you? You're a child of God. You're and you can come boldly to the throne of grace. But when He says come boldly to the throne of grace, He doesn't say come boldly to the throne of what you earned. It's come boldly to the throne of grace that you might find help and mercy in the time of need. And so we approach God. Uh, I still remember the story that Jesus told about the tax collector that went down to pray and, and the Pharisee guy that went down to pray. And the Pharisee guy looked over and he said, Oh, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. He's such a, he, he's, he, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not a tax collector. I'm not bad. And yet he was all prideful, but the guy over there wouldn't even raise his head up. And he said, Oh, Lord, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Which one went down? In the right way, it was, that, it was the humility. It was we come to God in, in our unworthiness. We come to God offering our petitions. We come to God relying on his promises. And then the third thing is we trust him. We cling to him. We don't fight him. And it's easy to fight. Because we don't know. And we think we, think we know something. We think we're right. We think we want to do our own thing. We wake up every morning with the idea of saying, what am I going to do today? Instead of, God, what do you have for me to do today?